Drive-by cinema. Three nachos and a foaming thermos of fun. Hello and welcome. It's season two, episode twenty-nine. Woohoo, Paul! My co-host, don't have a good day. Have a great day. <laughs> This is Paul, I'm Rick. Hello, this is Drive everybody. by Cinema. Watching movies so you don't have to. Yeah. Since the start of COVID. And we're here at 29, series two. It's like Groundhog Day, isn't it, really? We just keep repeating these. It's like we're never going to stop. It's like that. It's a lot like that. Is there no finality to movie reviewing? Is it, oh, we've done 100 movies, that's enough for a lifetime kind of thing. Obviously not. 100? We're getting on. Yeah, it must be near, near 100. Yeah. Well, the movie we're going to see later, I guess does involve some idea of like a groundhog dayism like a repeated a repeated day that never changes or changes very little a loop yes quite so stuck in a rut do we have any corrections paul what were we looking at last week spectral 2016 i don't think i've got anything to say about that immediately no we may have to wait until we had listener feedback please give us feedback we love Responding to your swinging criticisms. Bad-tempered inserts. <laughs> Welcome. Paul, you've been having car trouble lately. I've been having <laughs> oven trouble. Oh, I never asked, how is your oven? Is it better now? No, it's broken. It's not working. The light comes on, the fan goes round, but no hot come out. You have to blow in there. It doesn't work at all. I mean, there's no heating so at all. What, what just... you do with food? Well, I cook things in the microwave. Or oh, the... so it's it's as it was before, the place where you keep dishcloths and, and extra dishes. Yeah, yeah. I did try to fix it. I actually got a new element. And electrocuted yourself. Well done. And I replaced the element. How much was the element? Oh, cheap. Um, you know, a few pounds. It was very cheap. But I've been to your apartment. It's quite a swanky kind of oven, isn't it? It's like some German thing or... Yeah, but the oven, I mean, the elements are cheap. They're just oh, they're a simple component. Yeah. Well, I don't know how generic they are, but I didn't I didn't get a branded one. Unfortunately, after installing it, here's the thing, though. It, it was quite an effort to install. And... <laughs> to no avail, is what you're saying. Yeah, having installed it, it still doesn't work. Do you think you've learned things about electric... Of an elements during the process? A, a little bit. Well, I know that it was the element that had gone in the old, in the, you know. How do you know The that? old element, because it, there was actually a physical break in the element. Oh, wow. It had burnt through, yeah. So it completely gone. And it is possible to remove and replace the element from inside the oven, um, you know, without taking it away from the wall, but difficult. But I don't know how I would get the oven out. I mean, because it, it must be plugged plugged in at some point. How would I pull it out? I couldn't. It'd be too, you know, the the, the lead would... How fitted is your fitted oven? Is it very fitted? It's pretty fitted. I don't even know how I'd get anything behind it. Because uh, Richard, I'm sorry to divulge personal information, but Richard had a problem with your loo about six months ago. Is that right? Which was extremely fitted. You couldn't get to your sister. Is that right? Yeah, it's behind the tiled wall. <laughs> it, it's like a secret, it's a secret compartment. <laughs> we, the untrained eye, you wouldn't know there was a system there. You have to cut around a secret door and open it with a special key. <laughs> I mean, recently Microsoft have, have caved into years of pressure on right to repair, and this touches me because at the beginning of lockdown, my main work laptop stopped functioning. It was one I bought myself. I had two at work, and the first one broke, and I wasn't entirely sure if I had stuff on there. I need for work. It, it didn't. Uh, and the screen had gone. That's all that's happened. The screen had gone. It was entirely replaceable. Uh, but Microsoft said, oh, no, we're not going to... Re- I'll tell you what, instead of instead of fixing it, we'll just send you a new Surface Book for the price of $400. And they just refused to fix it. It's a good price for a new for a new laptop, by the way, a Surface Book, but it's not what I wanted doing, you know, so... It's no wonder Microsoft were looking after you, Paul, because you are probably the Surface user. <laughs> <laughs> they, 
they must have been astonished when you called them a support query. I really love my surface book. I think the experience went down when I kind of, I was, you know, watching something late at night in bed and then put it on the floor and then stepped out and sort of crushed the screen. This is before the screen broke. And then, of course... Right, unconnected, unrelated. Okay, well, related eventually, okay. Uh, and then, uh, like, the Surface Pen, which is the big selling point, you could, like, on half the screen, it would, like, match where you drew. And then when you got to the bendy bit where I'd studied it with my foot, like, you get these weird lines just suddenly appearing if you try to draw anything on them. So, so, yeah, I think the experience was altered thereafter for the Surface Book. But not a bad computer, actually. Uh, I'd say this Surface laptop that I'm using now at the moment, thanks work for sacking me and not taking the computer back. Uh, but then again, I was sacked in a different time zone. So uh, uh, this oh, that's the rule. That's the law. I think it is. You're sacked in a different time. Not sacked. Yeah. The company folded. But there we go. Uh, uh, this I would say is a deeply average touchscreen laptop, and there isn't much to recommend it, except it's got the usual Surface things of not enough ports. Uh, one USB port. Is it two? One. Uh, and like a USB funny one, little, little one. USB-C port is a modern way. You just plug a little extender into it, don't you? Like a docking station, and you've got all the ports you want. And then the Microsoft dock is £120. Well, we never finished. So you didn't manage to fix your oven, Richard. But surprise, surprise. Well, I mean, you're not an electrician, are you, sir? Or an electrical repairman. It's just three wires. You unplug the old element, three wires, pop them off. You get the new element, you screw it in, you plug the three wires in. Did you test for voltage? Very, very difficult. What do you mean, test for voltage? Is there there anything coming through the wires? Obviously not. It doesn't work. I'm not switching the bloody thing on with the terminals exposed. Well, how are you going to work out if it's working or not? Well, by plugging the the new element in and seeing it gets hot. And did it get hot? No, it didn't go out. Right. So we've got to look elsewhere, haven't we, then? Well, it could be a that fuse. I didn't... It could be It could be a fuse, I'm sure. Hidden behind some tiles. Yeah, that's the problem. But maybe I didn't plug the new element in properly. Uh, it's really difficult to do inside the oven, really. It's fiddly. I had the same problem to do with my fiddly. car tyre pump adapter. I, you, I thought it was manually operated. The pump is... Yes, it's, it's like a, the old fire station water pumper thing, you know. Oh wow! Oh, oh wow. I, yeah, I think within three hundred or four hundred pumps, it was pretty much up to pressure. Yeah, <laughs> pretty efficient. It's a workout and a, and a pump. <laughs> Certainly faster than a bike pump. You, you can tell there's a lot more air going in there. But then again, the car tire is pretty big, so it's still a good five minutes of hard labour, you know. What pressure is a car tire? Well, mine is thirty-three psi. And what pressure is a bike tire? A lot higher. It's higher, isn't it? It's interesting. People don't realise that. So what's the contact surface area of... Pretty huge, uh, by all means. A flat tyre, yeah. (laughs) Well, if they can drive on 5 or 6 or 7 PSI, then it implies that there's got to be a huge amount of contact with the the ground. Because you don't hear the rim. A quarter of the weight of the car. (laughs) So, so yeah. Terrorising the roads. Speaking of terror on the roads, Paul, I think it's time to listen to some music before we review yes. the film. Paul. Howdy. Free Guy. Free Guy with Ryan Reynolds. Yeah, free guy with Ryan Reynolds, and I thought I know that guy, but I don't know where he's actually from in other movies. Uh, he's Deadpool in the Deadpool movies. Oh, well, oh, here goodness. he is. You know, cleaner. He's very. He's, he, you know, he's very clean cut in this movie, isn't he? He plays Guy, ironically and intentionally. So he's a bank teller. He's a nice guy. A bank teller in a place called Free City, and he's free guy. Well, it's a play on words, isn't it? The name because. He is going to free himself, isn't he? Ah, 
It's an imperative. 2021, July or June or sometime like that. Somewhere July 2021. One it's of the a first, COVID-era movie. Yeah. One of the first big movies to make it out of lockdown. And I think it did rather well at the box office. 100 million budget. I think it pulled in about 350 or something like that. Let me check. Yeah. And it portrays the idea of characters living in a video game. Now, Paul, have you ever played Grand Theft Auto Five? I've never played Five. No. The the main influences or references for the video game components of this film are, so the director said, Grand Theft Auto Five and Fortnite. I'm sure you've played Fortnite. I have played Fortnite, and I've played GTA Four. Four. Okay. I don't think I played Five. Well, GTA Five. I mean, there was a multiplayer version of GTA 4, but it wasn't all that popular and all that good. GTA 5 really focused on the online component. And the the mayhem that is depicted so well in Free City in this movie <laughs> is really expressing what it's like in GTA 5, which is a very... Um, sort of, what's the word, impressionistic version of Los Angeles. Um, When you're playing online with other players, I think you can have up to 63 other players with you on the servers. It is continual mayhem. People are constantly, you know, chasing you down, blowing you up, or hacking the server, and just making your life a complete misery. With the... Which is the driving game? Where you can either follow missions or just drive around and bag into police cars. Uh, it must be Forza, mustn't it? When you go to Mallorca, drive around Mallorca. That is, that's definitely Forza, yeah. yeah. Forza Horizons, yeah. So Although, Forza, no. you've, you've got the radio stations, but famously in Grand Theft Auto, uh, you've got the really funny radio stations, haven't you? Oh, yeah. Uh, well, by Grand Theft Auto Five, such a big property it was. Some artists released their songs in GTA V. <laughs> I, I've got to say, I'm a big fan of GTA V. I imagine... I'm, I'm going to say this... Have you finished it? Oh, yeah. Uh, I think I've played GTA V more than any other video game. And I'm you probably... See, yeah, sorry. Mostly that's online as well, mostly. I, I, when I used to do driving games, and I stopped doing them in the last three years... Uh, Need for Speed was my go-to. I loved all the different episodes. You call them Need for Speed because it's it's like like a rail shooter. The narrative is very directional, uh, whereas Grand Theft Auto Forza, it's more of an open playground, isn't it? Yeah, it's a sandbox, very much open yeah. world. Yeah, I mean, there are missions you can do, but you can just. Dick around, which is what most people do, I think. So, so here we're, we're looking, uh, those ideas is, you know, these video games are a world unto themselves, yeah. Yeah, Immersive and metaphors. I mean, it's a, it's a really well-realised world, GTA Five, And the, the opening sequence where he's walking down the street and he's hearing dialogue from all the other NPC characters, which stands for non-player character, by the way, for those wondering... Uh, he's obviously familiar with all of the NPC dialogue because it's all loops, you know, the same snippets that he gets all the time. Hence that's the exactly ground, what the Groundhog hate, the Groundhog Day comparisons. Yeah. And that's exactly what GTA Five is like. You know, you hear the same phrases; they're quite witty, and there's quite a lot of them. But you do you do rehear them. Um, so essentially, but, you know, he's living in a video game, but he doesn't realize that he's an NPC himself. But he goes off his programmed route, doesn't he, with some new dialogue. Now, like it does starts... that happen before he meets the bell of the ball or just after? I think it's... Is it happening? I think it's in the coffee shop. He's standing opposite the barista. He's about to give his order. And I think he might spot the female player, possibly. Uh... And, yeah, I'm not sure whether it's before or after. It's a good point. But he, he decides to order a cappuccino 
And that surprises everyone in the coffee shop because he's I don't think Barista knows what a cappuccino is. But he's he's seen a female player. All the players in the game uh, wear shades, they wear sunglasses. And apparently that gives them their head up, heads up display where they can see all the scores and the secret missions and stuff like that. And the NPCs, of course, don't. Yeah. That's right. That's right. Guy works in a bank, though. Every day it gets robbed hundreds of times by players. <laughs> which, again, is ex- straight out of GTA, where this exact thing happens. His best friend, Buddy, is a security guard there. That's right, yeah. And they have a routine whenever they're robbed, they lie down on the ground, they try not to get shot by the players. <laughs> but now Guy is off script... Well, it's, it's, but it, when he's on script, he finishes his day saying, you know, don't have a good day, have a great day. And as he's great walking day. out, the bank manager says, hey, I need to see those quarterly reports on my desk in the morning <laughs> kind of thing. But now he's off his programming. One time he's being robbed, he decides he's going to get hold of the sunglasses. He wants sunglasses. All the people with sunglasses are cool. They're all heroes. They do amazing things. They skydive. They go on zip lines. They drive tanks. They blow things up. So he finally wants some sunglasses for himself. So he goes up and challenges the player. And one of the many really cute observations and funny bits of this film is, you know, I think when he's challenging the player, it cuts to the players at home. And it's a, like a teenage girl and, and her sister <laughs> shouting foul mouth things. <laughs> I, like, I, 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 like, I like the cuts to the real world. Of which there are many, many, many. Yeah, yeah. So he steals the glasses and puts them on, and he's astonished by the secret world that's revealed. It's kind of like AR style. It is AR style, yeah. So he looks through it, and he sees an overlay. The weapon options, yeah. Yeah, Yeah, he sees pickups. He he goes up to a health pack and heals himself. He picks up some money, and he's got money for the first time. He goes to the ATM, and uh, I think he... He gets the money out and he goes and buys trainers that he keeps looking at, which are normally player um, purchasable, unlockable items that he can now buy. And we then cut to the game the developers yeah. who, who own and operate this game called Tsunami. That's the game developers. And there's a couple of the devs or support guys who are discussing things going on in the game. And they think that this is a hacker. Some guy who has hacked an NPC skin with an NPC outfit. At this point, it becomes clear that the the girl that the bank teller guy has met in the real world is Millie. Is that right? Yeah. Yeah, played by Scouse actress Jodie Comer. Comer, Comer. I don't know how you say her name. I wonder if it is Comer. She made a big name for herself in the Killing Eve series. Is is is. So she's in the game as, you know, this Laura Croft kind of character, not doing what the other characters are doing, not what the other players are doing. She's there to try and find source code that she believes underpins the game and was written by her and her associate Keys, who happens to be still be working for the company Tsunami. Yeah, they weren't girlfriend and boyfriend, we're told, in flashbacks to interviews. But they were clearly sort of partners, developers in the same organization. And they developed this they developed this game which was all about letting the NPCs develop personalities and stuff, like a Sims or Second Life style thing, I think. It's not about shooting and violence, it's about interaction and personality. And they developed this innovative AI system. And she suspects that Tsunami have nabbed her AI system and used it as part of the the uh, free city source code. So the as it happens, the co-writer Keys is now working for the boss of Tsunami, uh, who is called Antoine, is that right? Antoine, yes. So she's got a guy on the inside if she needs that help. How convenient. Antoine, of course, played by uh, Taiko Atiti. I'm very much played for laughs, this, uh, you know, this... Uh, this villainous boss is really, fam- really funny. You're familiar with his work, right, Paul? No, you know no. Wow, okay. So he directed uh, the Thor movie that everyone loves. Did he? Yeah, the, the really funny one. You know, uh, 
Oh, which one is it called? Is it Thor 3? I think it's the third Thor movie. Love and Thunder or whatever. Uh, he, uh, he's, he did Jojo Rabbit, the sort of comedy with Hitler and stuff in it. Wow. Uh, what else did he do? He's done great films. Um, and What We Do in the Shadows, the vampire comedy set. He's a New Zealander, which may be obvious. But uh, yeah, he's absolutely he's brilliant. So it's good to see him in this. And all the rest of the cast loved him. They all thought he was hilarious on set. And he's really playing playing up, as you say. He's playing this for laughs. So uh, the, there, there are two key coder programmers underneath underneath uh, underneath Antoine at uh, Tsunami. There's Keys, who's kind of like kept in his place. Uh, and Mouser, who's kind of like a groveling underling to the boss. But they're kind of working together at the same time. I don't um, think they're coders because no, uh, they're Antoine coders at one point, he, he offers him a job as a developer. But he decides to, Keys says where he is. He must be sort of community manager or um, like a tech support guy. You know, they're troubleshooting, aren't they, in the system? Yeah. I mean, he's obviously on the tech side, but he doesn't seem well, he, to be. He co wrote the original source code, apparently. So he must have coding abilities, but maybe he hasn't yes, let Antoine yeah. know that. Yeah. Or he's just not interested in doing the job with them. Maybe he realizes it's all stolen IP. But to get back to your point, these two are discussing the fact that they believe Guy, the bank teller, to be a hacker who's, you know, got some sort of uh, NPC. Yeah, give himself an NPC only outfit. Normally, players would have, you know, player-specific outfits and unlockables, whereas Guy, obviously, is an NPC, so he has an NPC blue shirt, as is befitting for a bank teller. But after he meets the female character who calls herself Molotov in the game, and she totally bewitches him, and he... um, well, she tells him that, she, as you say, she's looking for this particular secret area in the game. And he tries to help her, but she kind of laughs it off and tells him that he's too low level. And he looks at her level and it's like 150, and he's only level one. She tells him to come back when he's level 100, and then they'll talk. So she's assuming he's a hacker in an NPC skin, is that right, yeah? Yeah, and... She's assuming that he must have some skills to be doing that. Hacking is a big problem in GTA V. Is it? Not so much on the consoles, because the consoles tend to be locked down with all kinds of controls and, you know, cheat-busting software. and They have mechanisms to censure people who hack on the consoles. You know, they can find your console's identity and... You need serial it, numbers yeah. and back and ban it potentially. Well, that brings back memories of DVD regions. Anyway, sorry, carry on. But on the PC, it's a bit more of a wild west free for all, yeah. and there's an enormous industry in quite often Russian hackers developing hacking tools and then selling them to players. And you run these hack menus, and it lets you do all kinds of completely crazy things in the game world with the online players. So you could, for instance, you know, uh, spawn all kinds of different objects all over the map. Um, You could change people's avatars to, you know, put silly outfits on them. You could make explosives go off all over the place. Uh, Replace your bullets with, you know, bombs, that kind of thing. So cheating can be a real problem if you end up on a server with cheats. You just get continually killed. It's very depressing. And they're, they're not taking pleasure in getting extra points in the game. They're just taking pleasure in, in the hacking that has allowed them to arrive at that situation, yeah? Yeah, exactly. It's purely the malicious thrill of doing something that you shouldn't or you oh. know getting around the system. Uh, you could argue that if you're just putting pushing buttons on a menu that you bought from a Russian hacker, you're not really displaying any... Precisely, yeah. So, it's just, it's a destructive act, you know. It's just the act of pissing everybody off, I think. 
I was uh, slightly connected. I was just I happened to catch on YouTube like a, a film short about uh, industrial white hacking, not necessarily to well, eventually in terms of information systems, but more about how they go they tell for business by they present their portfolio of what they've done to the company after they've been in there without telling the company. And it was just how it wasn't what she did, which you know she planted monitoring devices on the on every PC, you know, in, in every in every lab in the com- in the company, which is just mind blowing. It was how she got in there. It was just the physical entry into a physical space that therefore allowed her to later hack the electronic systems therein. Pen test. It's called pen testing. Insecurity. It's what it's called. Oh, it's just amazing how she did it. You know, this is a well protected, government funded. A lot of the contracts with the government, sort of pharmaceutical, huge pharmaceutical company with, with big secrets to protect. And do you know how she did? She got in there. She. she I'm going to say she did it through social engineering. Yes. She took an air rifle. What? And she took an air <laughs> rifle and fired and smashed a window of the managing director in the car park. Then 15 minutes later, Drove up in a van with, you know, window repairs on. Glaciers, yeah. You know, just call through to the managing director. Well, I think they called through to make sure he knew about it. And then, you know, they got through. And while she was in the back, and whilst they were in there repairing the window, she got into the factory. Yeah. <sighs> then, when she was there, she took a look at the social compliance and realised it was paper-based and hierarchical. And she printed out, while she was in there, a sign saying, leave this door open, signed it off, and stuck it on an entry door. And then for the next four days, that door was open. <laughs> and she took a whole team into, into this secure area. It was just, and she said, it was all about the social engineering and recognising the systems of compliance that people perform in, a different, in different companies. It was just mind-blowing how she did it. Hold on, though, Paul. You said at the start, as you introduced this, that... The- you said these were hackers who did it without the permission of the company. Yeah. And I don't think that can possibly be true. And I'll come to that because, I mean, maybe you're going to gainsay me, but it's quite common for security, uh, cybersecurity companies to go to a company and say, yeah, we're going to do a pen test. But we'll not say when. Exactly. And, uh. you know, the, the, the senior management you know, the C-level board will know about it, but the regional office managers won't. And, you know, they'll go ahead and, and do this. But, of course, they have on them letters from the senior management which explain their presence so that if they get caught, they don't go to, you know, the police aren't called and they don't go to jail. Now, there are... Oh, I agree, yeah. But nonetheless, nonetheless amazing how she did it. I mean... Yeah, yeah. There are hackers who do just hack places and then sell bug bounties effectively or bounties to the security oh. holes to, well, there's various places they can do it, but they could sell it back to the companies involved. But generally the pen That's testing you're talking hacking, about, though, is it? the pen testing you're talking about is done usually uh, at the authorization of the, the, the company. Which? But it's very common... A very common approach. There's a great podcast which has got lots and lots and lots of these stories week in, week out, called Darknet Diaries. Wow. And they usually interview someone in cybersecurity, and many of them are pen testers, and there's many, many stories like this, actually. It's, that does sound like a particularly good one, though. It's uh, amazing, amazing. But it's not what we're talking about, unfortunately, today. Oh, well, one of the stories, by the way, one of the stories on the podcast is a guy who... He was employed by a bank somewhere in the Middle East. And again, the job was to go into the branch and see if he could penetrate the security, which he would do by saying, you know, he was with IT and he needed to run updates on their computers and he was from head office. And, you know, he'd have like a forged document and stuff like that. But he went to the wrong bank. Oh God! The taxi dropped him off in the wrong place. He didn't escape alive, did he? Yes, he, he didn't. He didn't read the Arabic and stuff. So he executed oh, 
this penetration test successfully on a- wound up deep in their IT systems. And eventually, though, someone sniffed it out. Whoa. And he ex- he tried to explain who he was. And they said, oh, that's, a, that's the wrong company. <laughs> Did he escape but, with his hands? Well, very fortunately, like the manager or the CEO of the place he was in appreciated that he was getting free security, cybersecurity testing. And I think, of you know, asked for a report and then hired him to do more work. So it worked out all right in the end. But I think, yeah, for a moment there, he thought he was going to die or at least spend the rest of his life in a, you know, <laughs> a Syrian jail or wherever he was. <laughs> wow. So, yeah, Darknet Diaries. This is a good podcast for that kind of excitement. Yes. So, sorry, way back to where we were going. So Guy is told to level up by the Lara Croft character, and he does so, and in the process becomes a worldwide phenomenon, blue shirt guy. He's leveled up by being kind. By being kind, yeah, this is the key thing. He doesn't go around killing, shooting, or robbing. He just goes around stealing guns off players who are about to, who are about to shoot people, generally being nice and helping out, which is brilliant. And, you know, again, it's trying to play with the moral decrepitude of GTA V, but... I have to say that quite often when I, I've, I I need to underscore here how much time I've spent in GTA Five. How much time, Richard? Uh, thousands of hours. I, I I could go and look it up at some point, but it's well over five hundred hours on the current version alone, and I've had it on three different platforms since it was launched. Are there mods for GTA? GTA, GTA yeah, there are GTA. on the PC version yet, but you can't. Well, you wouldn't. Are they really indie mods, know. or are they are they sort of official mods? No, not official mods, no, because they continually release new content. Yeah, charge players for extras and stuff. You know, it's part of their business model. But I have spent a lot of time in GTA Five, not doing bad things to other people, because after a while, that just gets a bit boring. And I spent quite a lot of time just driving around, helping people out, like. Getting in a bus, for instance, driving around the city. And if someone looks like they need a ride, I'll just stop the bus and let them get on. Or, you know, helping, getting a helicopter and hooking it onto people's cars and helping them out of sticky situations. Or getting the car out of the police impound when they've been impounded by the police. So I can relate to Guy in the satisfaction of being a nice person in... in such an environment. It's very cathartic. So he's leveled up and he meets her for a second time as she's trying to break into the stash. By the way, uh, though, and here's an important oh. point, he's not only leveled up in the game, has he? He's also become a huge phenomenon because yeah. all of the game Research streamers... Guy. Blue shirt guy. All of the game streamers on YouTube and stuff recognise him and they all love him. He's got a huge following. But because no one knows who he is. This is one of the great things about this film, is it has got all these cameos from real-life Twitch streamers and YouTubers. Oh, they're real Twitch streamers? Absolutely, yeah. Uh, Pokemane and uh, Jack Skeptic Eye, the Irish guy. and Whoa. They're all real real dudes who really do this stuff, doing cameos. So Sorry, so Millie is heading to the stash for the second time to try and break out what she thinks will be evidence of her original code. Guy is there a second time, uh, and his forestalling of her actions means that they get found out by the security guards or whatever, and he helps her escape. So at least he's useful the second time around here. Yeah. Oh yeah, he's becoming more and more useful as he levels up. He's got Keys has worked stash. out back in the office that he definitely is an NPC and he's not a real person, he's not a real player, and he tells Millie. And they've also figured out that Antoine's plans for the sequel to Free City, Free City 2, is not going to be backwards compatible with the original game. It's going to be a completely new game. And it's going to be the end of their code. Yeah, they're going to throw out the old game ultimately and shut it down. So there's a ticking time bomb. They've got to find their code before Antoine shuts down the servers. The other realisation is that, you know, uh, Keys uh, and Millie come to the realisation that that Guy's NPC awareness 
has arisen from their artificial intelligence code. Okay. And I think Keys reveals to, to Millie that, that her personal preferences have been included in the original game. That's right. And somehow this has sparked a romantic interest in Guy, the NPC, and that's where it all the prompting Yeah, the, for the idea is he's he's given this NPC, you know, the ideal woman kind of, and it, it's really his ideal woman, which is Millie, his unrequited love that he's never revealed. He seems this to ideal been- woman has somehow seeded the NPC to develop or pursue its own artificial intelligence. Yeah, he's put all his own preferences into this NPC character. So obviously when it meets Millie in the guise of Molotov, the NPC falls in love just as he did. Because he's really been friend-zoned, hasn't he, for the last few years, it turns out. Definitely, yeah. yeah. Anyway, they go to the stash for a third time, and this this time take along Buddy, who's a security guard from the bank. And it just so happens that the player... Who is got the real real life player who's guarding the stash is a big fan of blue shirt guy in the real world, and so it's very easy for them to get. Is it a video clip or something he hands over? Yeah, I think it's a video clip. Yeah, it's a video clip of another player visiting a secret area, a sort of Easter egg ah. area. Now that that player's avatar who owns that stash of cars and stuff is played by Channing Tatum, who does the Floss dance from Fortnite, doesn't he? As part of one of the things he does, he likes he likes doing emotes. <laughs> but in real who's life, the guy who's the real life player who's got them? He's shouting to his mum in the background. Well, that's the same guy, isn't it? The same guy. Oh, okay. His his in game avatar is Channing Tatum, but he's like a nerdy guy. With oh, his, with you, he's in game. He's Channing Tatum. Yeah. yeah, yeah. And of course, as you say, Millie has now figured out. That guy is an AI, not really a person. And that, at the time, it freaked her out because she just let him kiss her. And that's not in the coding for the game. Well, it's certainly not, there's no button for the players to press to kiss one another. Because wow. typically people are not doing that kind of thing in Free City, in the same way as they don't in GTA. No whoopee whoopee, not like Sims 3. <laughs> yeah, but you don't control the Sims. You can't make them do it, can you? You just have you to... You kind of can. You can make it inevitable. What? Why? How? What? You've played. You've played The Sims, have you, Paul? Oh, f- for thousands of hours, Richard. More than I've played GTA for, Five, but not for eleven years. So, in the last kind of iteration that I played, I think it was Sims Three, maybe Sims Four, because it kind of went to Simsville after yeah. that and got quite meta. You were doing houses rather than people. Uh, sure, you could. Get them to work out and improve their intelligence and to kind of flirt with each other. And by making them more attractive and having more interactions with them... You make it inevitable. You can kind of make it inevitable that they're going to hit it off, yeah. Wow. Okay. Yeah. So, so it's not controlling directly, but it is forcing them down certain... Not a push, but a nudge. Wow. As we say... An action can become a repeated action. A repeated action becomes a behaviour. Repeated behaviours become a habit. A habit. A ritual, sorry. A ritual. A ritual. And with positive feedback, repeated rituals can become a habit. Oh, really? Mm. There's something creepy for you. There's there's something creepy about uh, The Sims, surely. But is it creepier than people being violent to one another in GTA V? I don't know. We digressed horribly. Slightly. Um, yes, yeah, so. Well, she manages. Well, no, actually, it's very complicated towards the end, isn't it? The third act, everything goes haywire. Because Antoine is now determined to shut down Free City before Millie gets her hands. Yeah, absolutely. On the video. I mean, Key has stopped being escorted from the office, isn't that right? He's stalling as best he can. He's giving. Guy and Millie, a special bridge through kind of the edge of the game on the the coast. But before that guy, because he is just an NPC, he's revealed revealed Millie's real name in real life, hasn't he, in the game? 
So Antoine knows who she is too. So like the time's up in a certain sense, particularly as he goes into the server room with an axe or something. Well, before that, he gets them to disconnect all the players. That's right. Yeah. So Millie loses her connection to the game. She can no longer help Guy. But Guy at least There's a reboot his, going on there, isn't there? Yeah. He's got his security guard buddy to help him. And he starts running across this bridge, which lets him escape from the normal free city toward the area of the game, which looks like the game that he used to program with Millie. Uh, and he's, but as he's trying to get over there, Antoine has, uh, he's been getting his art team to do a new version of Blue Shirt Guy for Free City 2, which has been <laughs> sort of revamped. It's Guy, but with huge muscles, no shirt, just a tattoo of a blue shirt on his pecs. And he orders them to send him into the game, even though he's not quite finished. Doesn't have all of his dialogue set out. Uh, he sends him in to fight Guy. His name is Dude. Dude, yeah. It's funny. It's very funny, this bit. Uh, and there's so many nods to gaming throughout this whole movie, of course. I mean, one of the one of the great things, I don't know if you noticed, but all in the background of almost every shot outside, there's all these players doing crazy things. Quite a lot of them have clearly just, like, don't know what they're doing and are jumping up and down <laughs> or walking into a wall. And there's a... Guy teabagging another guy when he kills him. Um, but yeah, when the dude arrives... See, in a lot of games, that's NPC behaviour, isn't it? So we don't get glitchy kind of walking into walls from the NPCs in this, though, do we? They're all pretty well-behaved, I think. Yeah. And of course, after Guy starts talking to them, they all start developing their own off-programming kind of ideas. In fact, he gives them a pep talk, doesn't he? Down by the riverside or down by the harbour side. There's your standard blonde bombshell who he encourages not to think of herself as a mere sex object for men. And she goes off and writes a feminist treatise about gender roles. Uh, and I think it's implied she becomes the lesbian lover of the barista. And now, the barista, he's like saying, well, yeah, you can make other kinds of coffee like cappuccino. <laughs> and she's like, no, no, I want to do like bubble tea or something. You know? Yeah, that's right. The funny thing about guys, every time he drinks a coffee or tastes something, he describes it in this wonderful way. Like, <laughs> yeah. he'll say, like, you know, like there's, there's a Mexican, there's a, there's a Mexican party going in my mouth because he's eating a tortilla <laughs> yeah. or something, you know. And I can't remember the words, but it's really good. It's a really nice, funny bit of the script. He's a delightfully kind of innocent and cheerful and upbeat character, yeah. isn't he? Really well done. So, I mean, as they're heading across to the bridge to the other side, and they know it exists because Guy remembers, like, after he's been wiped the first time, he looks into the blinds. Have you mentioned this, Richard? He looks into the blinds of That's his right. windows. Yeah. And he sees the actual, the actual original game that yeah. the reflections haven't been coded out for in his sort of glass or his see-through blinds kind of thing. Yeah, it's so a reasonably cute uh, clue, isn't it? Yeah, it's quite good. A nice little, a nice little plot device there. And so he knows, uh, and that's how he confirms to, to Keyes and to Millie that it's beyond the skin of the new game lies their original code kind of thing still existing in real time. And that's uh, how... They decide to build a bridge across the water from the water side over to beyond the waterline or horizon. But the guy that stands in the way is the dude, the new the new blue shirt guy, yeah? And he's he's completely thick. And he isn't fully programmed, so he, he says So what point, does he come as? He comes as a gym rat. And he, that's right, Paul, yeah. And I, I didn't <laughs> like that particularly. <laughs> because gym rats really know their macros and micros. <laughs> And they're not particularly ignorant these days. What's your catchphrase then, Paul? Because his is catchphrase. <laughs> <laughs> and when he when he's really enjoying a joke, he doesn't say he doesn't laugh louder. He actually says laugh heartier <laughs> or something like that. So, well, his attributes are still coming out as code, kind of thing. Guy manages to f- defeat him by pulling out a series of crazy weapons. Wait, now stop right here, Richard. Uh, the Captain America shield and Hulk arm. Yes. But it's not a Disney movie. It is a Disney movie. That's why they were able to get access not only to Marvel. It's not stuff, a Disney movie. It is because it's done by... Produced by... Yeah? Produced, produced by, by 20th Century Studios. Which is owned by Disney. 
Oh, my God. So they got, not only did they get the Marvel Captain's America shield and Hulk's fist. I love this bit, by the way. I, me too. I think everyone loves it. They also got the lightsaber for Star Wars. That was. The, I was thinking it can't be a lightsaber, and it was a lightsaber. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That ends up with a uni- ends up with a rainbow unicorn on the end of it, or something? which I think is a Fortnite thing, or certainly it's now in Fortnite because you can now play Guy, or no, maybe the no dude way. is now a Fortnite skin. Yeah. <laughs> who were you saying is the you know the guy who's who's at the stash? What? What was his what was his skin in the game? Well, the actor is played by Channing Tatum. Channing Tatum. Yeah. And he does a Fortnite floss dance, doesn't he? Which was I didn't know that. Suffice it to say, you know, they knock out the dude and they get across to the other side and Well they, they don't knock out the dude actually. The way he defeats him oh. is he gets his glasses and he puts them Gives on it the, to dude. the dude, yeah. And the dude is so simple minded, he's enchanted by all of the flashing lights. Which includes off. whey powder. <laughs> I don't know. It, it, hit pretty hard, though, didn't it, Paul? <laughs> like... <sighs> this is what... If it was any other minority, game... we'd have problems with it, wouldn't we? This is what computer game nerds think of gym rats, Paul. That's why they're being... so many gym rats... Are computer nerds these days? I mean, these oh, maybe. are these are these. This is rockers and mods kind of <laughs> leather jackets and and mopeds that don't exist anymore. Surely, but you're right. Guy makes it across the bridge now because he's free to run across. He there. does knock out the dude before he before he puts the glasses on him, though, doesn't he? No, I uh, don't think so. Yeah. He knocks him all the way across. But the, by this the, time, anyway. Antoine is already in the server room swinging a fire axe and destroying oh the servers. So the bridge is collapsing behind them. The whole city is being destroyed. His friend Buddy gets vaporised. But Millie runs to the server room. Does a deal. And yeah, she does a deal. She wants all of the original Free City code so she can run it herself. And he can have all of the IP for the rest of the Free City franchise. And all the money. Which he agrees to because he's greedy, of course. He's the uh, being depicted as the classic greedy game developer, publisher, rather, game publisher like uh, I suppose EA may fall into that. Yeah, the kind of people who invented kind of company that uh, you know develops the idea of loot boxes, you know. And look, it's a very like the film business is a very difficult business, isn't it? You're only as good as the last hit. Yeah. So on that sour note, <laughs> let's summarise this movie. They they do find the uh, the code. Millie does bargain away to owning Free City. And at the end of the movie, she's set up Free City to run in a different way with sort of more peaceful kind of gameplay going on. Uh, and observational gameplay, apparently. That's right. Which Lovely. is, you know, that's that's how games are these days. I mean, you can watch plenty of people just watch people streaming games online. They don't have, actually have to play themselves. Do they? Um, which I think is one of the nicer things that this film observes so well. I mean, even the, the climactic end, all the players have been ejected from the server, but Keys manages to put up a streaming link so everyone can see what's going on in the climactic battle, and everyone around the world is watching, you know, rooting for the blue shirt guy, which is beautiful. Um, So, Can I concur there? And at the end, really, it's a romance of, again, this friend zone guy, Keyes, who's clearly been holding a torch all this time for Millie, and he even programmed this AI to have the same desires. And when she goes into the the, the new free city that she's built and speaks to Guy kind of for the last time she's saying you know you know I can't stay in this world and he's well actually he says the words for it doesn't doesn't he knows that she uh, she's going to leave and he tells her that really he's been a love letter to her from the programmer from Keys which is very nice and there's a silent moment at the end where she runs off after him because he's gone to get a coffee at the coffee shop and she just they look at one another from across the road. It's all kind of cute. So, you know, CEOs in a cut and thrust digital content world, uh, the questionable moral 
shunts and pushes that games induce players to take. Uh, and yeah, a description of the evolution of gameplay as it stands at the present day. I think it included quite a lot of things, this movie, didn't it? It covers a lot of ground. We could talk for another hour, I'm sure, about things like whether violence in video games promotes real violence, which, of course, the answer is no. And um, concepts of free will and AIs, and at what point, you know, is an AI an organism that deserves recognition? Oh, of course. There's quite a big debate for, in several pl- plot points, plot moments here. We're saying, like, oh, you know, this uh, NPC is now a real living thing. Can we just turn it off? Yeah. Answer, I think, would be yes, we can. Oh. oh. Yeah. Well, you could save it, couldn't you? And then load it again later. That's the nice thing about it. Oh, yeah, yeah. I mean, no bloody mindedness. I mean, there's no need to be bloody minded. Sure, keep it. But, I mean, it wouldn't harm it to turn off for a while. Yeah. Sorry, did I just kill the debate there? <laughs> uh. Well, you know, the, the simulation theory that Nick Bostrom posits... Which is more living in a dream. Row, row, row your boat. Well, it's it's a statistical argument, isn't it? It's a statistical yes. argument. It's saying I've that, seen that. It's quite convincing. Yeah, the if you consider how many civilizations there may be, yes, uh, civilizations that reach the point where they're able to start simulating two. things in computers and develop AIs. And point so two. On. Yeah. So consider how many of those there must be. Over all of time, say, uh, it would seem, since there's likely to be many, many more simulated worlds than the real world, it would seem far more likely that any conscious being would find itself in one of the many simulated worlds than the one real world. And consequently, the chances wow. are we're in a simulated world. Simulation. Yeah, but, but in a way, this movie points out that it's not obvious why, if you were going to make a simulated world, for instance, why you would fully realise all the NPCs, because you don't need them. I mean, if all your players are going to do is come in and shoot them all on sight, you don't need to give them a fully realised internal life and simulate every part of their existence. You'll need to give them five phrases and an outfit and, um, you know, how they explode. Why are you looking at me? <laughs> yeah, okay. So, sorry. I'm assuming uh, you're a simulation, Paul, because I can't remember the last time we physically met. I still got a secret Santa present for you. Uh, you're just an image on the screen to me. Thanks <laughs> for your Max Headroom interjection there. <laughs> now, you are going to compare it to Ready Player One, aren't you? I'm gonna I'm gonna list them, okay? So stop me when you want to say something about them. Wreck It Ralph, Tron, Matrix Total Recall, Ready Player One, uh, Groundhog Day, which we mentioned, and Falling Down with Michael Douglas. <laughs> that's uh, that's very very it's a bit out there, very tangential. Uh, and the Truman Show is something you wanted to talk about. No, I don't want to talk about the Truman Show. People do compare oh, I don't it. Know what to the, Truman the Truman Show, show is? Well, in the Truman Show, Jim Carrey plays a guy who was born in a TV show, and he doesn't know it. Oh. A bit like what you were saying, I think, about flying somewhere and it all being made up. The plane flying around in a circle, and it's all set dressing. But in the Truman Show, yeah, he lives his whole life in this town under this dome with a sky oh. projected onto it, and it's really a reality TV show. Um, oh. I can see a, a parallel, but really, it's quite different, isn't it? Uh, and Guy quite oblique. Guy pretty quickly realizes what's going on and that he's, you know, in a game. I think, and was happy to continue living in the game afterwards as well. I saw a real parallels here with Wreck It Ralph, like the Golden Axe guy, the good guy in Wreck It Ralph, yeah. who has the antagonist Ralph. Uh, here, you know, a blue shirt guy is quite similar in that respect. But of course, in Wreck It Ralph, there is no real world for them to escape to. There's only another arcade game machine. Now, you seem to be a big fan of Ready Player One. You've mentioned it before as being a movie you like. I am a huge fan. Oh. But like with Tron and like with Wreck-It Ralph and like with Ready Player One, the, those three, there's no sense that the the characters in the game are, are tangibly real or have intelligence. Is there? They're just You just go in the game as a player kind of thing. 
or in Wreck It Ralph, you're just an animated. They're all. They're, none of them are players. Yeah, yeah. None of them are players. They're just. They're just animated, animated, uh, animated sprites. I've got to so, say, I don't like particularly. I don't like Ready Player One. I don't think it's very good. I think, and I think. They do can, you think it was a good moment for Spielberg's direction? Without looking at the content of the movie, no. Oh, I thought it, it was a real Spielberg movie, and it did what Spielberg does well. I think it was highly consumable. I think it the, did lay it on with the trowel. Yes, it's you know, schmaltzy. Lots like of pathos, Spielberg, too much yeah. pace. Yes, yeah. schmaltzy, too much pathos. But Spielberg gets away with that. I think the comparison between Free Guy and Ready Player One makes Ready Player One look extremely weak. Oh, egregious comparisons going on from Paul here. Because, perhaps because it's realer. You know, Free Guy is depicting games that actually exist, really. You know. True. Ready Player One, we're not quite at that level. Maybe we never will be, who knows. But Ready Player One doesn't ring true. Free Guy really nails some of the cultural aspects of games. Like the streamers and the fan base and the way people behave. Ready Player One is a, just a pure fantasy world, and I don't think that's. They both rely on reflections as a pivotal plot moment. Pop, <laughs> plot moment, though, don't they? Maybe she gets right. the code to his to his sort of uh, CEO chair by looking at a reflection or something, doesn't she? In Ready Player One, yeah, maybe well, he does. I can't remember. Maybe it's not. Yeah, I, I I think this film got so much right and so much better than Ready Player One that I, it cements my. Mild distaste for Ready Player One. <laughs> it has been extraordinarily well received. This movie. It has. It's got great scores. Yeah. Now I can yeah. see why. I can see why. If nothing else, it's a nicely self-contained, cute story that does exactly what it's set out to do. Really. Weirdly, I thought of falling down because Michael Douglas plays, you know, the khaki-shirty man who goes crazy because the world is falling to bits. Whereas in this, <laughs> the khaki shirt, the khaki, sorry, the khaki-trousered man. Goes, goes good to make the world set the world to rights. So that's the only thing. <laughs> that's true. Yeah, he does break out of his normal routine. There's no question of that. The other thing about this film is it's packed with little Easter eggs for gamers and, and people into the, that kind of stuff. You know, there's all kinds of things here, including a cameo by Chris Evans. You know, the real um, that was Captain funny. America when he uses the shield. And there's Deadpool's uniform at one point, and loads of game-related ah. stuff. But you don't need those, you know. If you don't get those Easter eggs and those little nods, it doesn't matter. You still enjoy this film, which I think means we're on scores, doesn't it? Yeah, we seem to be about to score it. So um, I'll start with acting and say that all three of the key cast members here, well, I suppose four of them as well, including Buddy. But, you know, particularly uh, Taika Waititi and um, Jody and Ryan are all really good. Yeah, I think it's obviously they had a lot of fun making this. There's a sense of fun that just reverberates through the whole movie. Uh, and it, it, with a comedy, you need that, I think, to make it to make it pop. And it certainly does pop. So I'm going to come in here and say the acting, I'm going to score an eight. I'll give it a nine. Ooh. It's, Jody's amazing. You know she's a Liverpudlian. She's playing yeah. an American putting on a British accent, which isn't a Liverpudlian accent. Um, and she does a great job. Have you seen Killing Eve, Paul? No. Highly recommended. She plays an amazing French, I think, assassiness, being hunted down by a British kind of intelligence service. And she's called Villeneuve in that, I think. Really good. Uh, yeah, so that's Killing Eve on the BBC iPlayer. All right, so what about... Plot. Plot, yes. Can I jump in first here? Yes. I, yeah, I mean, the plot made sense. <laughs> what I would say for me, I thought... It, not that it was a weakness, oh. however, it, a level of dissatisfaction, okay. was the parallel pivotals. So there's the pivotal about realising he's not he's actually an NPC and not a real player. Yeah. And there's a pivotal about how they get to the stash and kind of uncover their hidden real world that's behind the waterline. And these two things kind of evolve together, but I'm not sure they're necessary for each other. Like, 
Like, for example, when he says, oh, like, oh, the reflection in my in my blinds, I can see this other thing before. They've kind of already worked out that their world is out there. Do you know what I mean? Yes. Yeah. And that's so, true. like, yeah. and that's my only detraction. Apart from that, I thought the plot was pretty watertight and rolled along at a fair old pace. So, for me, it's going to be a seven. Seven is fair. I mean, ultimately, you know... You know where the story is going, I guess. Yeah. You know he's going to reach 100 and sort out the getting the video, don't you, as soon as that plot item comes in. It's just really cleverly and well depicted. And there is this sort of twist at the end. It's not Guy who gets the girl at the end. It's the guy, your programmed guy. It's keys of the programmer, isn't it? Do you know, I really thought, but it's Hollywood, it... I think we should have had Guy somehow having that moment with Millie and then being turned off and dying finally. Poor, that's and so then, cool. <laughs> and then Key's getting the girl kind of thing. I really think it needed that. And it, that would have made for a higher plot score for me. Of course, we failed to mention that Keyes is played by Joe Keery, who is from Stranger Things. Absolutely, yeah. And Buddy, the security guard, is played by Lil Rel... Howry, who was in Get Out. He was the TSA guy who rescues him at the end of Get Out. But of course, this thing is directed by Sean Levy, who directs Stranger Things. Yes, oh, at least some of the episodes of Stranger Things, yeah. Some of the episodes, yeah. Richard, we have to go on to FX. What do you think about them? Uh, Sorry, did you br- did you score the plot? I did. I'd give it a seven also, yeah. And for special Sorry. effects, special effects are amazing, aren't they? Um, yeah. Stunning. Just... You know, and one of the things that Ready Player One, I think, gets wrong is they oh, do everything is CGI, right? All the characters yeah. are CGI, whereas the in-game stuff in here is real world. It's real cars, real people, you know, real characters, except for the odd shot yeah. you see on people's screens and stuff like that, which is really cute, where, where they've computerized it all. Um, but a lot of the effects are practical, you know, you know, all the stuntmen going down zip lines and stuff like that. A lot of practical effects were done. So amazing. And I'm going to give it uh, an eight, maybe a nine, eight and a half, eight point five. final answer. I can't really fault the effects in any way, so I'm going to give it a ten. Jesus H. Christ, Paul, where do you go from there? Is there, is there anything to fault? There's nothing I mean, to fault. No. Uh, you could argue... That in terms of seminal movies, it's as good as it gets in terms of effects. You, know? you could argue that Dude, where they put Ryan Reynolds' face on a bodybuilder's body, doesn't quite work. But it's okay. It's a computer game. It's not supposed to. Yeah. But it's not supposed to be finished either, no, is it? Also, so. also. There's a bit of the uncanny valley about that. Uh, do we need to talk about science? <laughs> I don't know. Well, I was going to say digital relevance. Top marks, full on. It's definitely a nine. I think it's brilliantly observed in a way that all of the other movies you mentioned don't really manage. Is it as well observed about the Batroom as Silicon Valley, the TV comedy series? I'm not as big a fan. I haven't watched as much, but it seems to me it is. It seems to me the depictions of the the workings of a game developer stroke publisher are quite well depicted. You not agree? Oh, yeah, but I think Silicon Valley does it with some acid as well, though, doesn't it? Yeah, more of it. Well, it's pretty critical, really, isn't it, of the games business? It is, but it's a family movie, so it's enjoyable at the same time. Yeah. Yeah, I'm going to score eight for digital relevance. Well, okay. Well, okay, overall, then, this has got to be a good score. I recommend this movie. It's well worth seeing. What's your overall score, Rich? I think it's an eight overall, isn't it? I'm going to take it a little bit higher and say this is a nine. Wow. It's, I heartily recommend this movie. Almost a muscle. Uh, I wasn't expecting to. I was, you know, particularly the first 10 minutes, I thought, oh gosh, it's going to be so schmaltzy. I'm not going to be able to stand it. Uh, with memories of Ready Player One, but it wasn't. It kind of it stayed crisp all the way through. <laughs> so, yeah. Hey, well. Definitely go and see this. I think we need something to bring us down, Paul, after this then. We do. I mean, this is a saccharine treat, a rare one for us. It's like. It seems we've lost the habit of the British habit of having pudding with every meal, doesn't it? It's, it we don't often go this nice and this well balanced and this affirming, life affirming, do we? So, 
So hopefully it wasn't too painful for those listeners who are used to our usual our usual fodder. Uh, so I, I've got two suggestions for next week. Okay. House That Jack Built uh, and Requiem for a Dream. I think they're both pretty much as disturbing as each other. So take your pick, Richard. Okay, so Requiem for a Dream is... I think that's... Uh, is that a... Run- uh, Aronofsky? I think it is. It's from 2000, I know that much. But without digging up my phone and finding more details, I can't tell you. You haven't seen it before, have you? I have not, but you probably have. I have. Uh, oh, I've seen it before. I have seen it before. It's pretty bleak, man. Uh, it is Darren Aronofsky. <sighs> if I, I'll tell you something about it, Paul. Okay, the other one is Lars von Trier. Okay, Lars von Trier is the guy who did Dogville. Oh, 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 right. oh, oh. Okay, I think you've said enough, Richard. So, uh, but wait. Darren no, Aron- stop right now. Darren Aronofsky stop. is the guy stop right now. who last stop right now. Who did Mother that we watched last season. <laughs> Which one was Mother? Was that the New Zealander who's going that, no, that was the one where uh Oh oh I know stop, stop, stop. Is it gone? Don't tell the me. Biblical allegory in the house. I, I was gonna say, was it the one where Adam creates yeah. yes. stuff in the bathroom? <laughs> yes. Something about a block sink, isn't there? It turns to blood or something. Yeah. Yeah, and that's Requiem for a Dreams. That's his. That's the director of Requiem Progenitor. for a Dream. Yeah. Okay. I can I say let's go for Requiem for a Dream. In for a penny, in for a miserable pound. Okay. Yes. Uh, drugs. Let's drugs binge. Here we go. Until the next. time. I'm gonna have the Prozac to hand. Or oh, they don't make that anymore. I'm gonna have the Xanax to hand. Okay. I'm gonna get special delivery of Xanax just in case it's all too much for me. And I recommend that listeners, viewers, do the same. Do not take medical advice from our podcast. Thank you very much, and goodbye until Thanks the next so much. Week. Disclaimer, thanks. See you next time. <laughs> Ciao for now. Bye.